Good morning. Let us stand here from God's word. Psalm 35 says, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad, and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. What a wonderful way to begin our day, to rejoice in our God's goodness to us. And may these songs stir up in our hearts delight, more delight in our God, in our hope. Let's clap together, let's rejoice together in this song.
so you can be seated. Welcome. Welcome to this gathering of Desert Springs Church. And from A's to M's to Z's, welcome to church every Sunday. So we're excited for this, yes. If you're a guest visiting with us and you don't have any idea what we're talking about, that's okay. You are welcome every week and we're glad that you're here. If you have any questions about our church and how we can serve you, help you get connected to the life of our church, you can email us at info at dscabq.com or you can meet one of the pastors who will be down front immediately after the service. So as everyone else is dismissed, you can come down and say hello. Or if you have any questions about anything that you hear in this service, please come and talk to us. We would love to meet you. Well, men, men of Desert Springs, we have our Gospel Men's uh, Seminar coming up, and I would uh, exhort you to sign up for this if you haven't already. Take the time. If you have struggled to connect to the discipling life of our church, these are great opportunities to uh, be discipled by other men and to disciple other men. So that's on October 24th. You can sign up online, and I would encourage you to do that today. Well, cause for praise. Anybody remember cause for praise? We, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do one. We're gonna on October thirtieth. We're gonna have a night of of worship through song as we reflect on the Psalm songs that we worked on this past summer. As we went through the Psalms of the nineties, ninety through one hundred, our team was writing a new song for each one of those Psalms, and we recorded the first six. So Psalms ninety through ninety five have been recorded, and we're going to release those on October 30th, and then we want to have a night to celebrate that, a night of music. So we need you to sign up. We need you to register for that. So go online, go on the app, register, and we want to, we want to fill this room, socially distanced, and, uh, and we want to rejoice in these, uh, in, in these truths that these songs hold together. So we can look forward to that. We won't have physical copies of the CDs um, because that's so like 2010. We're going to just do digital downloads, and so we'll make that available on the 30th. So look forward to that, and uh, I'm excited about that. Well, these are strange days, as we've heard uh, at nauseum, and um, part of that for our church is that we don't have any children's ministries available right now. We don't have any nursery. So what that means is a little more noise in our auditorium, which I want to encourage. I want to um, I want to. Uh, encourage you parents who are working and doing the good work of bringing your kids to church, to the worship service, to continue. Uh, I know it is a difficult work. It is a challenge and requires much uh, consistency and discipline, but keep at it. Keep doing it. We want to hear those sounds of life in our body, in our worship gatherings. And for everyone else, I would encourage you to be uneasily distracted. To, to pray for those parents who you know are struggling with a little one and wanting to have them as part of the service. Uh, let this be a work of the entire church as children are a part of the life of our church and we should be encouraged and we want families bringing their young ones into worship as, they, as the young ones watch mom and dad worship together and engage in God's word through song and sermon. So let's, let's work on this and encourage one another together. Amen. Amen. Well, let me uh, let me encourage you with this from Romans chapter five, if I can find it on my iPad here. Here it is, Romans five, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 
Consider this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you believe that is true for you, say amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, if you, O oh Lord, would keep a record of sins, who could stand? But we rejoice in you because there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We wait for you, Lord. Our souls wait for you. And in your word do we put our hope. Our souls wait for you more than the watchman waits for the morning. Almighty God, our Redeemer, in our weakness we have failed to be your messengers of forgiveness and hope. Renew us now by your Holy Spirit that we may follow your commands and proclaim your reign of love through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us stand together and continue to confess. From depths of woe I raise to thee The voice of lamentation Lord, turn a gracious ear to me And hear my supplication If thou iniquities dost mark Our secret sins and misdeeds dark Who shall stand before thee? Who shall stand before thee? To wash away the crimson stain Tis grace alone availeth Our works alas are Live alone by 
Therefore my trust is in the Lord And not in my own merit On Him my soul shall rest His word Upholds my fainting spirit His promise mercy is my sins and sore our woes His grace much more abounded His helping love no limit knows Our utmost needed sounded Our shepherd good They are 
that's true say amen you can be seated praise God who is infinitely merciful um, I'm Josiah Bellflower I'm the missions minister here please join me as I pray for our missionaries in North Africa our Heavenly Father we praise you because you are rich in mercy while we were still dead in our sins you made us alive together in Christ. We praise you for your desire to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation. We praise you that your church is expanding to new places and that there are now people in cities and villages who for the first time are calling Jesus Christ Lord. We praise you that this is true, even in North Africa, where our two missionary families live. We praise you that you have allowed our church to take part in expanding your kingdom, both in Albuquerque and across the globe. We thank you, Father, for our sweet partnership with our two missionary families in North Africa. We thank you that the gospel is both our aim and the fuel for our partnership with them. We pray that you would bless them in their work of serving the new church plant in their city. We thank you that the church plant is meeting again. We are so deeply encouraged to hear good reports of Tim, a man who has considered putting his faith in Christ and now wants to visit the church. We praise you for giving Muslim believers the faith to allow Tim to come to their meeting, even though that can be a dangerous thing to allow outsiders into their church gathering. We pray that you would save Tim so that you might receive his praise and so that he would have joy everlasting. We also pray that you would continue to strengthen the saints and grow them in your grace. We thank you for saving our missionaries. We pray that you would continue to grow them to be like your son, Jesus. To that end, we pray that you would sanctify them. You would bless the marriages of our missionary families. May Mr. C and Mr. G both lead their wives and children in humility and righteousness. May they love their wives as their own bodies. Strengthen Mrs. C and Mrs. G as they manage full households and also get out in the community so they can build relationships for the gospel. We thank you, God, for providing work in the community for both Mr. C and Mr. G. We pray that their work would bless the community, and that it would bring them favor with their neighbors. We pray that you would open hearts in the community to the gospel, and may the gospel be heard clearly from our missionaries despite language and cultural bar barriers. Father, seek out and save the lost. We pray that you would bless the parenting of the C&G families. We thank you for the wonderful opportunities our missionary kids have. We thank you for the unique perspective they will always have because of growing up in a third culture. But as you know, there are many difficulties of living in a foreign culture. We remember that your own son left his kingdom to dwell among us. We know that any struggle the C and G children may face, you can empathize with them and care for them. 
We ask that as they recognize and feel the weight of their burdens, they would be drawn to the foot of the cross, where they would cast their cares upon you, where they would take your yoke and find it easy and light. We pray that you would strengthen the children to pick up the local languages again quickly, aid them as they go back to school after many months off due to the virus, give them favor with their classmates so they can have sweet friendships. We ask that these friendships would not only help them in learning language, but also provide gospel opportunities. We pray that you would bless the C's and the G's time of family worship, strengthen the relationship within these families, Give wisdom to the parents as they seek to disciple their own children. God, we thank you for all these good reports. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from you. And we acknowledge that every blessing, whether big or small, that our missionary families experience is because our God, whose mercy is greater than our sins. We praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and continue to rejoice and reflect on the great love of God in Christ. O fount of love, divine that flows from my Savior's bleeding side, worms in her stray, their filthy rags for his righteousness applied. Mercy cleansing every stain Now rushing o'er us like a flood There the wretch and vilest ones Stand adopted through his blood O Mount of Grace to thee we cling, from the law hath set us free, once and for all, on Calvary's hill, love and justice shall agree, praise the Lord, the price is paid, the curse defeated by the man, we who were slaves by birth, sons and daughters, now we stand. Oh, well of joy is mine to drink, for my Lord has conquered death, victorious
glory be to God alone. You can be seated. Well, good morning. So glad to be with you this morning. So grateful that I can be speaking God's word to you this morning. We're in Psalm 65, so turn to Psalm 65 if you have a Bible. I was not, uh, was not originally planning to speak in the Psalms, but Drew, my fellow elder and our, our music leader, uh, said, uh, boy, I would sure love for you to preach from your favorite Psalm. So here I am. Uh, this isn't, I don't know if, what my favorite psalm is, but this is one that uh, really has a lot of meaning for me, very meaningful to me. And my prayer is that it will be meaningful to you as well. Let's pray. Father, you spoke all things into being. You sustain all things by the word of your power. You preserve us by your word. So now, Lord, let us hear your word. Lord, would you, would you let your word do the work it was intended to do in our hearts? Do this work, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Do it, Lord, that the name of Jesus Christ would be magnified and honored in our lives, even today. Amen. Psalm 65. It's written to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Forty years ago, I attended a conference where one of the speakers related a a painful and personal experience for which he sought professional counseling. He explained to a psychologist that he thought he was a failure. He believed he had an inferiority complex. He thought, he felt, he, he really believed that he was inferior to other people. 
And this was probably uh, heightened by his repeated rejection. He was trying to publish a book. He kept sending out uh, manuscripts to publishing houses, and each time they were rejected. At length, after several counseling sessions, the psychologist offered his professional opinion. Mr. Taylor, he said, I think I know the root cause of your problem. You think that you have an inferiority complex because, well, you are inferior. It's a good thing that Ken Taylor didn't listen to those persistent words of failure that he or others were saying about him. Instead, he listened to what the Word of God said about him. As it turned out, no publishing house accepted his manuscript, so he decided to self-publish. That was a difficult thing to do in the late 1960s. His book, which he first published from his kitchen table, was Living Letters, later to become The Living Bible, which for three straight years was the best-selling book in the United States. King David was also acquainted with failure and with the words of failure that no doubt were coming from his own heart. We can see how he dealt with these words in this psalm. We can divide this psalm into three sections. If you're taking notes, the first section is the God of our atonement, verses 1 through 4. The second is the work of our atonement, verses 5 through 8a. And the third is the garden of our atonement, verses 8b through 13. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. What would motivate someone to say that praise is due to you, O God, or to say that praise awaits you in Zion? And this praise, by the way, is not due like your taxes are due. It is instead a praise that says, I just can't wait to be in your presence to praise you, God. It's a praise that is ready and willing and eager to make a vow, a commitment to the Lord. And what would motivate a bold confidence that says, verse 2, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. David knows that all will gladly come to God when they begin to realize something very profound. And that's something we see in verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. This verse is, I think, a key to understanding this psalm. The thought of that first line is that words of iniquities prevail against me. It's not the sins themselves, but the thoughts of them, the sins that want to crowd out every other thought in our minds. We sin, and then we have to deal with the guilt of sin, and especially if it's a sin that keeps coming back, a sin that just won't let go. We have to deal with the words of condemnation that come from our own hearts, those words that too easily come to us. That word prevail, it's the same word we read in the account of the flood in Noah's Ark in Genesis chapter 7. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. 
Those who first heard the story of the flood account in Genesis would know that the waters represented chaos. Floods and the sea represented the chaotic and destructive power of evil. We see that idea powerfully expressed in Psalm 93. You can see it on the screens here. Psalm 93, verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Note the floodwaters of chaos in these three lines. They have lifted up, and then with more intensity, they have lifted up their voice. And then with even greater intensity, they lift up their roaring. That's the way of sin in our lives. That is the way of the guilt of sin in our lives. It keeps rising and rising and rising until it wants to overwhelm us. David says in another psalm, Psalm 40, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Let me pause here and ask, what do you do when thoughts of sins prevail against me? What do you do when the waters keep rising and rising and rising? What do you say? When my sin is too much for me, I uh, watch a movie. I, I eat comfort food. I, I just tend to check out. Or maybe you say, maybe you say, when my sin is too much for me, I pray or I read the Bible. The problem with each of these answers is the pronoun. It's not I, it's you. That's what Psalm 65 verse 3 is saying. You atone for our iniquities, our sins, our transgressions. Let me put it another way. When I am pressed in, by the rising thoughts of my own sins, when I am overwhelmed with the guilt of my sin, it's you, Lord. You atone for my sins. You do that. Back to Psalm 93. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. And then it says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Line by line, word by word, wave by wave, the rising of the destructive waters of guilt is matched. It's more than matched by the rising might and words of the Lord. It is the Lord who is mightier than our sin. It is the Lord who is mightier than the words of our sins. It is the Lord who atones for our sins. And that word, atone, it's the same word that's used to describe the cover on Noah's ark. Noah provided a cover for the ark so that those rising waters of chaos wouldn't touch those inside. It's the same word used more than 20 times in Leviticus where it says that the priest makes atonement for your sins. But now, when people first heard this psalm, surprise, it's God 
who makes atonement for our sins. This is the first time in scripture that we hear that God, not someone else, makes atonement for our sins. And for whom is this atonement made? It is verse 4, the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. The all of verse 2, look back to verse 2, to you shall all flesh come. These are the ones who are chosen in verse 4, the ones whom God, according to his perfect plan, brings near to him. These and only these are the ones who will be satisfied. Note again verse 4, to be in God's presence. So satisfied that they exclaim with gladness, verse 1, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. In fact, David has arranged these, these ten lines in the first four verses, these ten lines, so that verse 3, that's lines 5 and 6, are square in the middle of this section. And therefore, verse 3 is the focus of this section. When iniquities prevail, when words of iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. And that brings us to the second section, verses 5 through 8a, the work of our atonement. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The words that ever seem to, uh, that seem to ever stand before us, the tormenting thoughts that threaten to seek us in the deep chaos of evil, those thoughts lead each of us to one day ask, how can I possibly escape this snare of my soul? But it is God's deeds, it is God's work that saves us. It is God's righteousness and not our own that rescue us. We would have no hope if our rescue depended on our works, if our salvation depended on our right thinking and our right behavior. But now we do have hope we and all the ends of the earth, everyone whom God has chosen to bring near to him. God is the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. It is by God's strength that the mountains were made, verse 6. And that same strength is able, verse 7, to not just hold back, but to still, to quiet the rising waters of chaos and evil, the roaring of the seas. And note what David means by this. The roaring of the seas and the roaring of the waves is this restless and noisy tumult of the people's. Isaiah says the same thing. Isaiah 17. Ah, the thunder of many peoples. They thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations. They roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind and whirling dust before the storm. I think in a lot of Christians' minds, this is pretty much where the gospel stops. 
Maybe that's you this morning. You know that you are. You were a sinner. You know that you were helpless, trapped by this really frustrating disposition to do wrong, even though you long to do what is right. You know that Jesus came into this world to die, to die for sinners who had no way, even no inclination to be reconciled to God. You know that Jesus, being perfect, died on the cross to take away the sins of his people. And you know that only those who trust in him and not in themselves will finally see the light of that new day in heaven when we see him face to face. So I know there may be some of you here today or you're watching online for which these words are new, perhaps strange, you're not a Christian, or perhaps you thought you were a Christian, but now you're asking questions. Just know this, the Bible says very plainly that God made all things, that he sustains all things, and that all things obey his voice, except for one thing, people. That's you and me and everyone else, all who've been made in the image of God. We haven't done so well. In fact, the Bible says we have failed totally and completely. We've turned away from God, every one of us. And God, because he is just, because he must do justice, will one day require of every person to give an account. And he will find every person guilty and worthy of eternal separation from God and from all the good that God has made. That's what the Bible calls hell. But know this too, Christians are also worthy of that same judgment. But the penalty for their judgment has been transferred. It's been transferred to another person, to Jesus Christ. They have been acquitted because Christ has taken the judgment for them. They have been given right standing before God because they have trusted in Jesus Christ. So please, I, I welcome you to visit me after this service. I'll be right up here at front. You can come up here. You can ask any question you want. Now for those of us some of us who are believers in Christ, you may know these things. So perhaps you haven't been helped all that much by my words this morning. You know these things, but you, you still see your sins. You still hear the words of your iniquities. And maybe you still struggle with the desire to do what is right, even though you trusted in Christ long ago. Maybe you've settled into the mindset of, that's just the way I am. I've tried. I don't think I'm going to change. The morning comes, and it's just another day on the calendar. And the evening comes, and there's a, there's a sigh. There's nothing to look back on and be glad. You, you look back at the tracks you've made in life, and they are littered with the debris 
of the bad choices you made. and You can't undo them. You look back and you see the hard dirt clods of your existence. And you wonder, you wonder if God really cares. Here's a strange thing. I've asked Christians over the years one of the most basic of questions. Does God love you? I get this almost involuntary jerk of the head backward and this look on the face that says, is the earth also round? <laughs> well, of course God loves me, is the reply. But then I ask it another way. Does God really love you? Does he love you right now? As God is looking down from heaven, is he, is he pleased with you? Are his arms open wide and is he longing to see you? Or are his arms crossed and there's kind of this look on his face that says, I can't believe he's still doing that. When I put the question that way, the answer I most often get is something like, well, I wonder at times. That brings us to our next section, the garden of our atonement. Did you know this? This is for all you gardeners out there, that gardening is actually a pretty big topic in Scripture. Adam was the first man, and he was a gardener. He was put into the garden to work and keep it, but then he failed. The man and the woman sinned against God, and so God cast them out of the garden and put strong angels to guard the entrance. That's the cherubim. There was, and there still is, no way back to that garden apart from the help of God. And it's not just that we need help getting in as though we needed to do some of the work ourselves. No, God has to do it all. God put man in the garden in the first place, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. That's what Genesis 2 and verse 15 says. And only God can put man back in it. And though he shut tight the entrance to the way, in his mercy he provided a picture to God's people in the form of the tabernacle and later the temple. So what do I mean by that? The tabernacle and then the temple had a thick veil over the entrance to the most holy place, the place where there was the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God actually dwelt. Sewn into the fabric of that veil were the cherubim, guarding, as it were, the entrance to this most holy place. And into that place only the high priest could enter, and only once a year. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil, that thick veil, was torn top to bottom. That's what the Gospels tell us. That torn veil means that we have access to the presence of God. We have access to the garden of God. And this is not later. This is right now. Right now. For everyone who trusts that Christ's death on the cross is the only payment that can be made for the debt of their sins. And everyone who has access to the garden goes in. It's not just that God opened the door and said, now you can go in. 
It's that he opened the door and now you are in. You are in the most holy place of the temple. You are in the garden. You are in God's presence. Verse 8b, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. So what does it mean to always be in the garden, to be in the presence of God? For one thing, it means that every morning can be a time of anticipation of God's mercies. His mercies are new every morning. That's what it says in Lamentations chapter 3. Morning is a time to declare that God's love endures forever, Psalm 92. And that same psalm gives us reason to sing in the evening because as we look back on the day, we realize that God has been faithful to his promises. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. Well, there was a river in that original garden, the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2. That river branched into four rivers. And by the way, there is no river on earth that does that. So this is no ordinary river. That river gave life to everything in God's garden. We see the river of God running through scripture. It's the land of Goshen in Egypt to which a savior, Joseph, brought the people of God. This land of Goshen is, according to scripture, like the garden of the Lord, Genesis chapter 13. It's the water that starts as a trickle coming out of Ezekiel's vision of the temple. It then becomes a brook, a stream, a mighty river, giving life to everything it touches, Ezekiel chapter 47. It's the river that flows out of the new Jerusalem, the city of God in heaven, watering the fruit trees on either side of it, Revelation chapter 22. It is, most of all, the river of life that flows out of Jesus himself, the river that becomes a river of life in every heart that trusts in him, John chapter 7. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. We, we wonder sometimes if we'll ever grow, if we'll ever produce fruit in this life. I know I did, even after being a Christian for 30 years. But the water that God gives is gentle. This water from the river of God softens the hard places in our lives. It brings growth where we thought nothing would grow before. Verse 11, you crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The river of God is full of water, and that water gives life abundantly, overflowing. We can look back at the tracks we've made in life. We can look back with regret. Or we can look back and see the hand of God. Yes, even in the bad choices we made. We can look back and see that God has had his hand on us for good, our good, and for his glory. What is the evaluation of the garden of God? We read 
that it is good. Everything about it is good. And what is the most outstanding feature of this garden? The presence of God. That's what the garden is all about. We as believers in Christ are in the presence of God. And everything is good. Isn't that what Romans 8.28 is all about? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Isn't that what it's about? We can look back and see with eyes of faith that the year has been abundant with the blessing of what? Of his continual presence. We can look back and say with David, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. One last thing. I know some of you are thinking, well, this is all well and good, but I don't feel this way. I still think about the wrong I've done. What can I do? What can I do to get to the place where I'm really believing that I'm in the garden of God's love? I want to mention two things that will help. One, fight words with words. You hear accusing words from others, from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever else these days. You hear words from others and yourself, especially yourself. But these words are not who you are. These words are not reality. Fight words with words by using God's word against your words. It's not what you say about yourself that is true, but what God says about you. Your life is not in your words. Your life is not in your words. Your life instead is in the word of God. This is what Moses said to the people of Israel. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, the law being the word of God. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to Psalm 84, another psalm that is also addressed to the choir master. I'll read just a few verses from this psalm. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. 
It says in this psalm that those who dwell in God's house, that's us, by the way, are blessed. They sing his praise, and their strength is not their own, but God's. They depend on God. They trust in him. But then notice this curious verse. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Baca means weeping. As God's people go through times of weeping, they make it a place of springs. And that means they are not looking at life through rose-colored glasses. They don't deny the hard times in life. They don't deny the suffering and the turmoil they encounter. They are able to look back and, in faith, say that God will use even these difficulties to bring about good. They are able to look back even quickly and realize that the very things that seem to cause death, in fact, are used by God to bring springs of life. There's one other thing I think can be helpful in realizing that we are right now in the garden of God's love. The superscription to this psalm, the first lines of this psalm, say this, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. This psalm was meant to be sung by God's people as a prayer of praise. It was meant to be understood and lived out in community, not in isolation. The people of God sung this song together because they all, every one of them, struggled with sin and with the rising words of the guilt of sin. We don't walk by faith alone, and we don't comprehend the blessings of God alone. We rejoice together in faith, knowing that we, as God's children, are in his presence. We who have trusted him in Christ have been brought back by his mighty hand to the garden of God. We have been brought back to the garden of God's love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you died for us. You took our sin upon yourself. You became sin for us. You did that so we would live, not just in the life to come, but in this life. Lord, you have given us life, a river of life, a life overflowing with your goodness. Words of iniquities prevail against us, but you atone for our sins. Lord, we weep in this life. We suffer and we are confused at times. But Lord, you are with us. You are with us always. You have brought us back to the garden, to the garden of your love. And it's here, Lord, that we see with each passing, passing day more and more of your goodness. Lord, you are good and you do good. Amen. Let us stand and respond.
said amen amen christians may we go living in the garden of god's love in light of his sovereign salvation and sustaining work in our lives and inviting others to join us in that garden of his love and his presence if you are not a christian if you don't know this garden of his love and presence then don't leave here today with unasked questions come down front as randy said we'll have pastors down here Find somebody, somebody who invited you. They're a great person to ask. Find someone who would point you to God's word and ask those questions. We are so thankful that you're here today. And for all of us, let us, uh, let me leave you with 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. And we all said together, amen.